You're listening to the profession's greatest physical therapist, Their Past, Our Future podcast. We're your hosts, Ethan Mitchell and Joey Stewart, first-year physical therapy students at Angelo State University. This is the podcast that is made to inspire pre-PTs, SPTs, and current physical therapists to become the greatest versions of themselves, physically, mentally, academically, financially, and spiritually. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Their Past, Our Future podcast. We have an awesome guest on today. His name is Dr. Dan Egidio. Did I get that right? Uh, Digidio, but that, that was a common mispr- uh, mispronunciation. So, Oh, man. Was, I, at least it was consistent with what most people say. Okay. I, I tried my best, but <laughs> I'll get it next time. Egidio. Is that a little bit better or – closer dgdio oh dgdio okay okay there we go yeah all right so i just want to say thanks so much for coming on the show dan and giving your time and your attention to this interview and i just want to start off the interview by asking you what's what's something that you're grateful for today grateful for today um i'm gonna have to go with my girlfriend nisha so i launched i launched my business today and she's uh, you know, for beta testing and she's been the, uh, the support structure, um, for the past couple of years, right. Cause we've been dating for, for quite a while. So I have to say that she's the number one person I'm, I'm most grateful for. And without her, I would, uh, I would be a little lost puppy out there. <laughs> well, that's great. Hey, a former guest of the show. So that's, a, that's awesome. Yep. All right. Also, uh, I'm really curious. Can you tell, me and our in the audience as well a little bit about your story and how you found physical therapy to be the career for you yeah absolutely so I am definitely I consider myself a non-traditional student because I was never much of a school person to start out so early on um you know I went to I went to community college I, I was I was never a great high school student so I never really could get into an actual like state school or university um so I started out working construction, um, about 18 years old, I kind of found a passion for CrossFit, never being much of an athlete. I found CrossFit and I, I found, um, I really enjoyed the community that, you know, the gym provided. And it was like one of my passions outside of just working. So, uh, I ended up getting my CrossFit level one certification, attended a bunch of like weightlifting and powerlifting certifications, uh, really got into the community, attending a lot of events. Uh, but always kind of felt like I didn't know nearly, uh, enough. And I always wanted to kind of build my foundational knowledge, uh, about the human body and about health, wellness, um, and just fitness in general. One of the other trainers there, she was a, that that I worked with at my CrossFit gym. She was a physical therapist as well. And I always was like intrigued by her, the amount of knowledge that she had, on like not only just fitness, but on managing people through injuries. Cause we would obviously in CrossFit, you'd have a variety of people come in with like different injuries or maybe past injuries. Um, so that was something that I always wanted to like, you know, dive down into when I found out that PT was a doctorate, I immediately like, like recalled into the corner and was like, Nope, uh, you know, I'm not a school person. I'm not going to be able to get a doctorate. So it was definitely, you know, a couple of years of just like letting fear and previous, beliefs stopped me from doing it but with some coaxing from some friends 
Um, and then just realizing that I wasn't happy with my current like career path. I took the dive in and I started taking night classes um, while I was working and gradually build myself my GP ba- GPA back up to actually get into PT school. So that brought me to Temple, um, where I just finished back in May t- 2020 uh, with my doctorate in physical therapy. And now I'm at an outpatient physical therapy clinic treating um, primarily like chronic pain patients, but occasionally, like I'd say like 10% are, are young, like athletes as well. Hmm. I really appreciate hearing that and, uh, you know, your non-traditional route. That's really cool how, you know, just from being in the CrossFit community, you learned about physical therapy. And, uh, you know, it's super impressive how you ended up, you know, taking night classes and going back to school, even though that wasn't your thing. And, like, you really pushed past those limiting beliefs that you had. So that's cool to hear. But um, on your Instagram, it's pretty obvious how knowledgeable you are about running. And you have some really awesome, awesome content there. I just want to ask, where did your love for running come from? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, obviously with CrossFit, getting into like having my, my fitness journey start with CrossFit, obviously there's, there's, you're using a bunch of different fitness modalities from, from weightlifting to, you know, um, cycling to, to running, pull-ups, bodyweight stuff. So there's always that level of running, right? You, whether it's a 400-meter run or, like, you, you get a 10K programmed. And I had always ran, like, even before CrossFit. Like, I would just go out for, like, a three-mile run just because I was like, oh, that, this is probably good for me. Um, but I never considered myself much of a runner. Uh, so I would always, like – I always felt like I was a little bit better at running than I was at lifting. Always a smaller guy, never nearly as strong. I mean, I got stronger with CrossFit, but I was always a little bit better at the running stuff. Um, but I would, always was like, no, I want to I want to be like a guy that just like lifts. Um, then, you know, I went to PT school and while I was there, Bill Egan, one of our professors, um, he, you know, Beller grad, uh, military background. And I had an interest in working with the military population because the population I worked with at CrossFit was primarily military. Um, so I, I remember reaching out to him and he got us set up with the ROTC cadets there and we got to kind of treat them, uh, while they were training for the, the, uh, the, the annual Ranger games where they'd go and they do like land navigation and like obstacle courses and they compete against other big ROTC programs around the country. So a lot of the training involved, obviously their military was running an endurance type events. So we got to treat some of their athletes and, you know, they were coming in with a lot of like overuse injuries and I just found the process of like trying to work with that population super challenging and super rewarding because they're all endurance copers. So when they have a pain or injury, they want to push just through it. And it's very hard to put the brakes on them and tell them what not to do and what to pull away from. Uh, so that was just really, you know, that really just kind of lit me up. And it was something that I was like, oh, you know what? I kind of want to dive more into the endurance athletes. And then I just having running as like a low, um, you know, having it as like a low barrier of entry for most people, like most people do run and I see a lot of people getting injured running. So I was like, that's something I want to explore. Did my research at Temple, my research project at Temple on it and just kind of fell in love with it. And I was like, man, I, I just want to keep going down this, this rabbit hole and, and see where I end up. Yeah, that's really great. I think you brought up a good point how running, it has a really low barrier of entry. You don't need 
exercise equipment. I mean, maybe a pair of shoes. <laughs> so uh, there, there's a lot of people that do the barefoot running thing. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a little risky for me, but, uh, you know, yep. more power to them. Um, I think it's a really cool route though. I mean, I'm similar to you in that, like, you know, I was more of a guy who kind of liked to like to lift more, but you know, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I started training for the half marathon. And so, you know, learning to love running kind of creeps up on you. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. And there's yeah. a, there's a meditative quality about it. Like you go outside and you're outside. Like sometimes I'll go without my headphones and I'll just like go to a nice easy clip and then you get back and you just feel good. Yeah. That I don't feel good after like a strength session, but it, there's, it's just, like I said, you know, you warm up, you head out the door and you just kind of like let every other worry that, you know, might've been hovering around your mind, kind of, you just let it kind of float away and, and go and just enjoy the actual great outdoors. Yeah. That's awesome. The, the nature component to it is probably one of my favorite things. That's why, I, yep. you know, running on the treadmill is so hard for me at least. <laughs> Same here, man. I, I, we got a lot of snow up here. I know you guys got snow down there and I, I got my trail shoes and I was like, screw it. I'm staying outside as long as I possibly can. And I did that. Oh, I, I respect it. I respect it. Yep. All right. So one big thing that's really going on for you is, uh, you mentioned earlier, you, you started up your new business. I think you said you started up today, the robust runner. So that's like your Instagram handle, but it's also your business. Yep. So can you talk a little bit more about uh, your business and what your mission is with this project? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just looking to help like frustrated runners overcome setbacks and can you just set PRs, um, you know, and, and get ready for whatever life might throw at them. So uh, it's, it's an idea I've been sitting on, you know, for a while now. And it's something that, again, like I was kind of really fearful to pull the trigger on because, because I feel like PT school doesn't set you up for, knowing a lot of, you know, about business. Mm -hmm. So, um, I am going through the honey badger project with Frank Benedetto and the crew over there, and they've been super, super supportive. And today was official launch day. So just looking for beta testers, uh, to kind of get into the system and to start really putting out some, like a, a, a remarkable product for the runners I'm setting out to serve. So that's kind of, you know, where we're at right now. And, uh, it's going to be a wild ride. I'm excited. That's really cool. And how many people are you looking for? for your uh, beta testers, just a few or three, three to five to start. It doesn't need to be anything crazy. Um, I have some, you know, people that I know that have already reached out, which is great. Uh, cause I'm getting a variety of people like from all different beginners to people that are more recreational and just want a little bit more guidance. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure there's a, there's a really big demand for that. I think, you know, running is just becoming more and more popular, especially after all the gym closures and stuff happen. So, uh, I think a lot of, a lot of stuff you'll be doing in your business is kind of working with, you know, recreational runners, like you mentioned, just want to ask, what advice would you give to someone who hasn't really ran since playing sports in high school, but wants to make running a big part of their life or just a part of their life? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the main things that most people do probably wrong from the get go is they just go out and they just start running probably too fast and too often. So I always tell people that have had maybe layoffs from running, just start with walking. There's no shame in going out and getting a nice brisk walk in because, you know, although the demands of walking are different than running, they are still somewhat similar, right? Like if you walk at a brisk pace and keep continuing to increase that pace, eventually you're going to have to start out to actually run. 
Um, and not only that, but walking, it's, you know, it's very similar in that, you know, you're upright and you're bearing weight through all of the muscles and all of the tendons and all the ligaments that are going to support you through running. Um, so start there. And then once you feel comfortable with that, I would go into like a walk run program and keep all of the runs for the first few weeks at a conversational pace. Mm. Just get used to spending more time on your feet and gradually work your way up there. Um, so that's, that's probably where I would start for just about anybody that has had like a, a layoff. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Uh, definitely don't need to be like ashamed of just starting off with like longer walks and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think even runners can benefit from just going on walks too. So yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that I want most people to be in this for the long haul, right? I don't want people to go out of the gate and just like keep setting themselves up with injuries. I'd like to say, like, I like to talk to somebody like you, for instance, and hear like 10, 20 years down the line, like, you know, Ethan's still out there crushing on the runs. Um, and you know, not being ashamed of like maybe slowing down your pace sometimes and just knowing, you know, when to pull back on the reins a little bit so that you can kind of keep moving forward. Yeah, that's really great. And I know from my running journey, whenever I first started like running and stuff, I would uh, just run as hard as I could, like for like, I don't know, one or two miles. And then my, I would be at like a nine or 10 RPE. And like, I'd be like, I just don't want to run anymore. Running sucks. But you just yeah. learn to find that balance of not going super hard every time. Yep. And just easing into it. So I think it's great advice. Um, so you know, I feel like lots of people, especially runners, are always asking for, like, what's the best recovery technique, you know, foam rolling, uh, stretching after. So what are your thoughts on that? What is What are your favorite ways to relax and recover after your runs? Yeah, you know, I see all that. And, and, and the, the number one thing, you know, before you even pull out a foam roller is get enough sleep. If you're not sleeping, if you're not getting seven, eight hours of sleep – and there's no point of pulling out that foam roller. You might as well just go to bed a little bit earlier or sleep in a little bit if you can. Um, I'm, an, I'm an early riser, so I'd rather go to bed earlier. Uh, but yeah, if I, I wouldn't even pull, pull out any of that stuff until I'm getting enough sleep. So that's, that's number one. Outside of that, you know, like I said, I went to a brewery today after a, 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 spin, a spin class. So uh, <laughs> that's always fun and relaxing. There you go. Hey, yeah, I mean. Hang out with friends when you can. Be socially distant or wear a mask. But, you know, be social and, and just do things that make you laugh and, and feel relaxed. I think that's going to be probably better for everybody in the long run than hopping on that foam roller and foam rolling out for like 30 minutes. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I think uh, just social relationships are just a huge part of life. But yeah, appreciate those tips. So I also want to ask um, on your journey, you know, becoming a physical therapist or, you know, and you're running in general, who is your greatest mentor or motivator and in what ways do they influence you? Man, I could probably list a lot of people. Um, so what, one of the, I already mentioned Bill Egan, you know, he was a huge mentor and he still is. Um, same with Trish Crane. She was on the level up podcast too. She was one of our, uh, lab assistants at temple. Uh, great people who I really, every day I strive to be more like them and emulate the way that they kind of handle clinical practice and critical thinking in general. Um, Zach and Steph too, over at the level up, they have been fantastic. Even just talking with them, you know, they, they, they've created a wonderful community. Like I feel like I've gotten to meet you through that as well. Um, 
So, I, I, you know, being able to meet clinicians that I would have never been able to meet otherwise, I think that's super important. And they've created such a great community with the Love Up Initiative. Um, my girlfriend, Nisha, you know. Huge motivator. What's that? She's a huge motivator. She even mo- motivates me too. Yeah, yeah. When, I, when I'm stuck on something, I can ask her and she'll, she'll like give me, you know, a new way to look at something, uh, which is so helpful because I tend to like, you know, focus in on like one specific thing. And sometimes I need to just step back and, you know, look at the big picture. Um, yeah. And then uh, from another standpoint, like a lot of people over her clinic at Precision, John Herding, he's been really great and kind of like talking to me about like business related stuff and just kind of being an, you know, a, an awesome clinician who has lots of experience and he's kind of able to kind of provide a little bit of mentoring as well. Um, and then uh, I'd have to throw Joe Renaldi in there too, because he was my level up mentor and that guy has a heart of gold. Uh, yes. One of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, so yeah, that was a huge list. But- <laughs> And I could name way more, but these are the people, the first people that kind of come to mind. That's great. And to everyone listening, you know, Dan is doing a lot in the PT field and the running field, and he has so many different mentors. And I'm sure that you weren't just passive about finding mentors. You probably were looking for people to learn from and people who are great at what they do. So I think that's awesome. Yep, Absolutely. All right. I just want to transition a little bit to kind of like, um, you know, working as a physical therapist in the clinic. So what are some ways that you have found to influence your patients in adhering to some sort of exercise regimen, even after PT is over, whether that be like weight training, running, walking, swimming? How do you kind of go about that whenever, you know, your patient is on the tail end of physical therapy, but you want them to, you know, continue working on their health and well-being as well. Yeah, that's a that's a great question because um, if it was up to me, I'd have everybody strength train at least two times a week and, and hit that uh, 150 minutes of moderate activity every week. The reality of it is, though, is that not everybody likes getting under a barbell, not everybody likes running. So the first thing I, I try to do is just figure out what the person likes to do that, you know, mimics some sort of physical activity. So it could be gardening. It could be, you know, just leisurely walking around their neighborhood. Um, So I try to figure that out first. And then while I'm working with that patient, I try to bring up like, Hey, have you gotten back to doing this? Or have you had to try to, have you tried doing this yet? And sometimes I'm like, no, like, is it safe for me to do it? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. Why don't you get out in the garden and, and like, you know, pull some weeds or, plant that, you know, that tomato plant that you said you were going to plant, you know, come spring. And then that kind of, they're, they're just looking for permission to move because they, you know, they've been told probably by a variety of healthcare professionals, like don't bend that way or don't do this certain thing. So now they're like back into a corner and afraid to hop into whatever activity that they love. So you give them permission and they do it. The other end, you get people who are, you know, they want to get back to like a, a you know, regimented exercise routine. So I try to work with them like, figuring out, Hey, can you bring in what your program typically looks like? And then we look for little areas that we can like, you know, maybe implement that at the, at the actual clinic. Oh, you like running. Let's get you on the treadmill. Let's start with a running warm up or like a, a brisk walk. And then I tried to transition, like pull them away. Now we're, we're only seeing you one time a week. And the other, the other few days you're in the gym, you're reporting back to me. How did it go? 
And then we slowly pull off the training wheels and we kind of like let them take off. Um, and then the other thing I'm doing, I just had a cerebral palsy patient who, uh, her insurance won't pay for any more skilled PT, but she's, she, you know, she's definitely in need of a maintenance program and a fitness program. So we, you know, I reached out to a local, um, a, a gym in the area that, that works with people with neurological conditions. And I wrote a letter of recommendation that I'm going to give to her tomorrow. So she can take that to them and, uh, hopefully provide her with a scholarship so that she can continue to exercise without, you know, breaking the bank and continue to continue to make functional gains outside in the community. So little things like that. Wow. That's a really cool story about, you know, the CP patient and yeah. Um, I really hope she's able to, you know, work in that gym, but, uh, also yeah. thought it was awesome how you mentioned, uh, like an activity like gardening. I know, um, you know, I actually had an experience with a patient, like as a shadower that she, like, she enjoyed gardening. And so I, I found that really interesting. And that was like one of the ways that she would stay active. And I've also read some, well, I don't know if it's official research, but I think I saw some sort of <laughs> social media posts about how plants make you happier or like have taking care of plants. So, yeah. you know, it's also about, you know, just kind of treating like the patient's lived experience, like helping them to be happy outside of clinic because, you know, we only would be seeing them like one less than 1% of the week. So, but I got my plant right here that I take care of. Well, and it makes you happy, doesn't it? It, it actually does. You know, I feel a little bit more, uh, feel more purpose with taking care of my plant. His name is Lenny. The moment, the moment you brought Lenny, the moment you brought Lenny into the picture, I felt better. Really? Wow. <laughs> Lenny, Lenny gives good vibes, I guess. So <laughs> Go, Lenny. yeah, but uh, that was an awesome answer. But another question for you, what is something that you learned as a PT that PT school did not prepare you for? Yeah. So, um, I would say that like, I was fortunate enough to go to Temple university and they, they hit us pretty hard with that biopsychosocial approach. They interweaved pain science. So when I got out and I was seeing that with the level up initiative, like I, I'm one of the only clinicians in my current clinical clinic, uh, that, that practices that way or, mm. or things that way. Right. Everybody's very biomedical. So I felt really prepared to kind of go out and explore the gray a little bit. So that's where I feel prepared. The area that I feel like I'm learning now on the fly is how to build a physical therapy business. That's not something that I would have learned in school. Like we did have like a class on it, but it wasn't enough to get you like out the door and like, I'm ready to start a business. It was just kind of a, a quick lecture on, you know, various topics that go into, into business. Mm. Um, so that's something that I'm learning right now. I'm far from being a master at it, but definitely, definitely something that I didn't get in school. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really think that's a point that most PT schools hit. I think some PT schools will maybe have a class on it, but, uh, that's why we're thankful for things like, uh, the honey, ba the honey badger project with, uh, yeah. Vendetto. So yep. if you're in the PT world wanting to start a business, go, go check that out. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm also really interested temple university. I, I hear, uh, you know, they're very like, up to date, you know, with the biopsychosocial, like you mentioned. 
And what is it like practicing with PTs who didn't really get as much of biopsychosocial and are more like practicing like with a biomedical approach? Yeah, it can, it can be frustrating on my end sometimes. And I have to take a step back and just realize that like everybody's doing the best they can with what they know and what they have to, available to them. So like, you know, I'll, I'll have a, you know, you know, a colleague treat a patient and tell them like, Oh, you know, you really shouldn't be lifting that way with your shoulder because you're going to impinge or whatever it might be. Whereas I had just told that patient a couple of days prior, like, let's just work through some things that are, you know, more tolerable and let's build up the capacity. So, you know, my mindset is, okay, I want this person to feel comfortable getting back to whatever activity they were doing. So if it was overhead pressing, I want them to get back to doing that. And if we can start there, that's where I want to start. I don't want to instill fear in them. And mm. not, I don't think that people do it. On, they're not doing it on purpose. They're doing it because they learned that way in school and nobody had ever, you know, taught them otherwise. So it can be challenging though, because I do try to bring up some of these things and I, I will get clinicians cause I'm a newer clinician. Just be like, Oh yeah, whatever. Like pain science, like, we're swinging the pendulum too far into the pain science world. And I understand that people see it that way, that we're swinging it too far one way, but that's to say that, you know, I still think that the way that research is going, isn't, you know, confirming a lot of these like super biomedical things that, that have been believed for so many years. So um, it's, it's challenging to kind of be the only one out there, but I still with my knowledge base, I still give my all for every patient and use the way that I was taught because, and that's the way I believe in. And that's the best that we can possibly do because, you know, eventually you're going to get a clinician, see you, you know, do something or tell a patient something and they might either inquire about what you, you know, educated on or, or how you maybe did things, or they're going to be like, Oh, maybe I should be thinking about the way I practice a little bit. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. Or, and then you're going to get people that are like, yeah, screw that guy. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep doing my biomedical thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I answered your question there though. So no, yeah, you did. <laughs> um, yeah, that was great. Um, the one thing about the biopsychosocial model that really gets me is like, it's a great way to just empower your patients and, you know, uh, just kind of let them know that, it's not just one thing that's going to stop you, you know, um, there's yeah. different factors that play into it. And we can just really tell people how robust they are and how yeah. we can adapt. But yeah. And I, I try to use it all the time too. And I screw it up all the time too, because it's, I think I know it. And then right when I thought, thought I knew something about it, I, I, I reflect back on a patient interaction. I'm like, man, I screwed that one up. Cause I, I think, I think, I view it and I try to like pull the bio out and the, 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 the psychology out and the sociology. Like I try to pull these things out, but they're really just meshed together in almost like, like different colors of putty just meshed in inner, mm -hmm. you know, interweaved. And it's, it's super hard to like just conceptualize that these things are always interacting and they're always tied together and you can't just pull them apart. So I'm always trying to work on bettering myself in that, you know, on that side of things, but, uh, it's tough, man. It's, it's tougher to do it that way than to just be like, Oh yeah, all I have to do is fix this one structural problem and then everything is fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, one thing, well, for me at least, and a previous guest I had, uh, Christine Sweezy, she's mm -hmm. the gap, uh, PT on Instagram. She said like her patients 
we'll maybe ask, they'll ask her like it seems like the hamster's rolling like in like her head like she'll say like she's like kind of to really be really careful with her words because she um is trying to I guess think through things without like saying the wrong thing and you know I guess that could be a challenge as well when trying to like implement like the biopsychosocial but yeah yeah so I have a one final question for you Dan it's a question we ask all of our guests what is your definition of a great physical therapist Ooh, that's a good one man god I feel like I I would change this in the beginning of PT school and I'll, pro- and I'll probably have a different answer in like the next couple of years. But right now I'd say the PT, you can just like shut up and just listen because, and I am guilty of this. We learn so much and we just want to immediately throw it at our patients. But at the end of the day, if you just stop talking and just let them tell their story, they will tell you just about everything you need to know. And then it's really about taking that stuff and then painting the picture of what the patient just told you. Because if you can do that, you're going to get so much further with that individual and build so much more trust. And the therapeutic alliance is going to be so much stronger than just throwing out all of your knowledge at them. Yeah, that that was a really great answer and something that I'm definitely going to reflect on for a while. Yeah. I recently saw a stat that on average doctors interrupt their patients like 11 seconds after they start talking. So yeah, that, that one I'm sure definitely hits home for a lot of people. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to say, I definitely appreciate, you know, all your thoughts and, you know, everything that you kind of made me think about too. And um, I just want to, well, I guess before we end the show, is there anything else that you want to talk about or, or, uh, no, no, I mean, no, you, you asked some really good questions. I thought we, uh, I thought we let out a, you know, a bunch of really good things right there. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, uh, where, where can our listeners find you on social media? Yeah. So, um, you can find me on, I, I have my personal, uh, Instagram account, but I'll give you my, my, my business one. So it's, it's at the robust runner, um, on Instagram. Uh, then you can also reach out to me at the robust runner at gmail.com. Um, and then, you know, if you want to go to my personal, my personal Instagram page, it's just Dan Digidio um, at Instagram. All right. All right. Yeah, man. Perfect. Thanks so much, Dan. Yeah, Ethan, I appreciate it, buddy. I, uh, I, I wish you all the well with uh, school, man. I hope you guys got a lot out of that episode, just like I did. We really miss having Joey on this time. He'll be back soon. And it would mean a lot to us if you guys could give us a subscribe or even reach out to us on Instagram and just let us know what you thought of the show. We appreciate you guys so much. Have an amazing day.